Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. You know, some great news happened at the end of last week, both from Walmart and from Aldi. And to be honest with you, I think that this is going to start new price wars for these holidays. So what Walmart did is they announced on Thursday that they're going to roll back prices on Thanksgiving to last year's prices. That means for them, if you go to Walmart, you're going to pay under a buck a pound on turkey. Now that's significant because last year on average, it was $1.15 right now throughout the country. You're going to see prices up to $1.99 for a pound of turkey. So that's important. Now Walmart is continuing this price promotion through December 26th. Aldi, they're going to go one better. What they've decided to do is roll back prices for three years. Now, this one is only good till November 29th, but they have actually stickers on all the products that says Thanksgiving Price Rewind sticker. So I really think not only is Aldi and Walmart going to battle it out for this holiday season, trying to lower prices for consumers, but I think you're going to see other retailers do the exact same thing. So gone are the days of free turkeys, but here we are back to last year's prices, which is significant since BLS has predicted that this year price for Thanksgiving dinner is going to be up 23%. And actually you're going to be better off going out to eat than you are making dinner at home. So today, what I want you to do to start the Lemper Report Live is to close your eyes. We're going to introduce you to what might be your most delicious meal. Now, open your eyes and get ready for another surprise. Adults who want to lose weight who think they're actually eating healthier, they're not. Congress wants to attract more young farmers. And talking about farming, where's the beef? and the administration finally addresses meat and poultry. Let's get started. So Sally, tell us the story about blackout restaurants, that there are now 14 of them across the world, and what's the effect that people are having? Um, this is, you know, so unique. It's not, you know, we've talked before about going into restaurants where it's all dark. It heightens the senses. We've done that story before years ago, but this one has a twist where all the wait staff in the restaurant are either visually impaired or blind. What's this about? Well, it's really cool, Phil. I love several things about this, but the, but the deal is, is, you know, the one that I've been looking at and reading about is it in Jaffa, Israel. And um, it's actually located in this center called uh, Nalagat Center, which is actually a theater where um, there are performers and creators working there that um, have disabilities. Um, so blackout is located in there. And like you said, the entire white wait staff has some sort of vision impairment um, disability. So, um, so the idea is that you, you walk in and, and in a lighted room, you are able to read the menu and order. Um, you do have the option of ordering um, a surprise dish for each course if you want to, instead of choosing something. And, um, and then you have to, um, they give you a key 
And the key is for you to lock your phone up so that you, you, you don't have your phone while you are dining. And then they will lead you in, in a lot. They describe it as leading a conga line of people into the dining area where the lights are down and, um, and you are working with a staff that is visually impaired. Now, what's really cool about this is that the feedback that people are giving is that they find that their food is more enjoyable, that they're, maybe their senses are heightened a little more. I don't know. But also what I loved about this is that they have deeper conversations with the people that they're dining with. I imagine that phone being away has something to do with it, but also the lighting being low. And then the third thing that I really love about this is that people are getting exposed and interacting with people that have disabilities and seeing that they have capabilities just like everybody else. Now, this story is written by Samantha Barron. Uh, it's a first-person story. She and a friend went to this restaurant, experienced it. Uh, to your point, um, I love what she said. I found that the limited use of eyesight seemed to enhance my other senses. While chewing my entree, I relied purely on taste to figure out each ingredient. Um, she and her companion decided not to talk uh, and focus on the food. Um, and, you know, um, I loved uh, exactly what you said. I noticed that when we only ate and didn't talk, our taste buds seemed more alert and intensified. We also noticed that in between dishes, when we did converse, our conversations went into more personal depth than they usually would while dining out. She says, I credit these conditions to blackout. Um, yes. You know, I hope that they expand to more than 14. Frankly, it's an experience that I would love. I would love to try this. I know that years ago there was one in Brooklyn, New York. Didn't get a chance to go there uh, before they closed. But, um, you know, there's there's some learnings here. Even the fact that they insist on everybody putting their phones under lock and key before you dine, it's great. I can't tell you how many times I'm going to a restaurant and I see, you know, a couple or, or more people around a table. Nobody's talking to each other. Everybody's on their phone. Sometimes they're even texting each other. Uh, but, you know, let's bring back that that conversation. I think that that's so important. Uh, new studies just come out called the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions 2022. Um, they evaluated the dietary patterns of adults seeking weight loss and residing in the greater Pittsburgh city of Pennsylvania. I, I do take issue um, by doing it in Pittsburgh versus wider. They only had 116 people aged between 35 and 58. Uh, but tell us what they found. Well, what they found in the study, Phil, is um, that as people, you know, when people had a goal to lose weight, they had them, they had them keep a 24 hour record of their food. Um, and they, they took all of this data and compiled it into a healthy eating index score. Um, and what they found was that most people that think that they are eating better um, are actually not. And so they found that those people, their diet, their diet quality was only improving by about one point when they thought um, that they were doing a lot better. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if we're ever going to cure this obesity situation and overeating, you know, we've got to figure out how to click that switch off in people's brains because, 
I would guess that a lot of these people, and again, very small, limited study, but a lot of these people said, oh, I'm on a diet. Of course I'm eating healthier. Uh, and they just don't translate it, which is why, you know, with, with the Retail Dietitians Business Alliance and the retail dietitians that are in our supermarkets, it is so important to have somebody holding your hand during this process uh, that can really call you out. Uh, I learned years ago that if you really want to lose weight, it's like, you know, driving a car. That was the example that was given to me. You always want to look at that speedometer. You always want to look at that scale and on a daily basis, be able to measure whether you're progressing or not. And to be honest with each other, otherwise, you know, you're never going to change, you know, your behaviors. Uh, Congress wants to change the fact that we're having less young farmers uh, than ever before. Um, a new study that was released by the National Young Farmers Coalition found that 59% of young farmers named finding affordable land to buy as very or extremely challenging. 45% of these young farmers named finding available land to buy as very or extremely challenging. So you take the 45% with the 59%, hey, it's up in the top 90s. So if we want to attract young farmers, we really have to do something. The average age, according to the census data of a farmer today, is nearly 60 um, age. And that's concerning lawmakers in Washington. We've got to get more young farmers in there. Uh, the last time the USDA collected the data, one in four were classified as beginning farmers. That means farmers who are operating 10 years or less. And the number of young producers uh, defined as 35 or under, about 100. 21,000 and out of the total universe of 3.4 million, that's nothing. So what is the USDA going to do about this to make sure that we've got a continuing food supply? Because if we don't have farmers, we don't have food. Exactly. And, you know, the, the one of the points that one of the things you pointed out, Phil, about the average age being almost 60, you know, these are this is great. These are we, we have a lot of very wise and experienced farmers in our country. My grandfather was a farmer. I know you come from a, a family of farmers, um, but but we want to get these young people coming up that are that are skilled in technology that um, that have kind of grown up in that world because they have a lot to bring to take to the table with agriculture. So there are a lot of programs through the U USDA where you can acquire land and you can get loans. Um, there's a lot to sift through on that and I don't know all of the details but wouldn't it be cool if we could see um, see more incentives for young farmers, um, like in the same way that we see, you know, when we're helping people with student loans, we're helping, we, we help military, people who enroll in the military, we help them go to college, we help them buy houses. Um, so let's do that with farmers, you know, let's, let's have scholarships for ag schools or, or um, you know, low interest loans when you get out of college and want to want to start your own business to get to access land to do that. And one farmer, Adam Brown, who's the owner of B&B Farms in Illinois, told um, the House Ag Committee about the problem. And I'm going to quote, 
I think USDA, from my point of view, does a poor job educating on the programs that are out there and accessible. And with farm bills changing every several years, a lot of the times the programs go away or are new out there. We hear about them by word of mouth instead of direct farm service agency or county officials notifying us. So the the U.S. does have a lot of these programs. The farmers don't know about it. And now on August 24th, USDA released about $300 million in available organizations that have projects to help increase access to land, capital, and markets. So some good news on the way, but clearly USDA needs to be doing a better job of communication. Um, if we're talking about communication, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a story about how the Prime Minister of New Zealand wants to tax cows, burps, and farts. Well, guess what? We might not have to do that because out of London uh, comes a new product, or Sweden, sorry, uh, called Loam, L-O-M-E, which is billed as the world's first low methane beef. Um, it's the outcome of a pilot project where they're feeding cows, not soy, not grass, not corn, uh, but a food supplement that's made from red algae. And studies have shown that that can reduce methane produce by cow burps by 80%, um, 32% of the human-driven methane emissions, according to the UN Environment Program, are created by livestock manure and cow belches. So tell us a bit more. I mean, is this just a fad? Is just just one company who's doing it? Or is this the new way of, of raising beef? Well, this is very exciting news. I think you know that this should be big news for everyone, and that we should embracing the be embracing the benefits of seaweed, which has many, many benefits that we're hearing about it. But, but what we're seeing is Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, they have they are reducing their greenhouse emissions by fifty percent on fifteen of their dairy farms. Um, this is part of the Unilever's Climate and Nature Fund, and um, I really really want to give them you know props for for doing this. They are feeding cattle seaweed and they are also giving them um uh, they're allowing them access to high quality forage. So, so we're finding out that it's not just algae, it's what kind of grass they're feeding on. It has to do with the water. Um, we're seeing Danone is working on, on regenerative practices on their farms to reduce their methane emissions. And Nestle as well is working on their water footprint. So there are a lot of different ways, if you dig into these, these solutions out there, that we can cut down on that. Absolutely. And, you know, I hate to be trite here, uh, but the saying garbage in, garbage out really is, you know, is the reality. So if we have good inputs into our cattle, into our poultry, we're going to have good outputs as well. Um, Biden-Harris administration has announced the first round of investment to increase competition and expand meat and poultry processing, $223 million in grants and loans. Um, and what's so important about this is their objective, and, and Joe Biden had said this from almost day one, was to create more meat and poultry numbers 
number one competition, but also capacity so that smaller meat and poultry facilities can exist. So we're not reliant on these 1 million square foot factories that certainly during the pandemic, the early stages of COVID, we saw have tons of problems, everything from, you know, COVID across all the employees, the working conditions, the fact that so many of these employees were making under eight bucks an hour, and we wonder why we have food safety nightmares. Um, so this is great news uh, coming out of Washington. Yes, it really is. And, you know, the idea, you know, there, there are several uh, benefits to this. You know, we are increasing competition so that we can keep those food prices reasonable for consumers. Um, but we're also creating jobs. We are restoring jobs in rural places with, with, with policies like this. And we are reducing those barriers to processing so that we can so that we can have small farms. We can have big farms and there's room for more, more to get into the game. It is. It's great news. And whether it's on a small farm or a big farm uh, that, that's a, a young farmer or meat and poultry, there's so many opportunities in agriculture across the entire supply chain for innovation, for new blood to really go in there and change the way our food supply is. Um, great news on the horizon, great foundation that's being laid. Now, all that we've got to do is execute on it. The CMA and CMA hosted a panel discussion with some of the top women in retail to discuss their career journeys. Hear from the heads of category management and shopper insights from Tyson, Unilever, Home Hardware, and Sam's Club on the impact of time spent in sales and operations. Members of the CMA can access the full replay of the webinar in the resource library. Non-members can visit catman.global to contact the association about membership. Let's take a listen of what they had to say. Last year, what we saw very effectively was retailers were really pushing this idea of come shop early, do not come in massive crowds. Let's try to do this as well as we can. Get your products on time. Think about how much of an issue there was in terms of not having stock. So yeah. they didn't want customers to be disappointed. We don't have those issues this year. In fact, one of the bigger motivations for the early shopping season in 22 is going to be excess inventory. So how do I get you into my store to just get some of this stuff off of my shelves? It's not a worry right. of, will I be able to deliver it? How do I get, how do I get rid of some of this stuff? So I do think we're going to see, I mean, we're already seeing signs of it. I do think that October is going to be really important and that early holiday period is going to be important. Yeah. It, it likely won't be what we saw in 21. Yeah, that's fair. And let's talk about some of the key retail holidays um, like Black Friday. You know, has their role diminished in recent years, given that retailers have tried to spread out the shopping based on security, right, and safety? We don't want big crowds on Black Friday. Um, but, you know, so do you think that we're going to see a resurgence in some of those big holiday days now that we're sort of out of COVID or an extreme COVID spike right now this year? So I think so. So I don't, I mean, let's, let's give the, the wider context. The wider context is that Black Friday is not going to be what it was most likely. And I mean what it was 10 years ago, the retail holiday, right? It is, it dwarfs everything else because yeah. retailers have gotten much better at finding other times in the year to create that urgency and demand. They've done a better job at spreading out the excitement throughout the holiday season, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. 
Yeah. Do these days still matter a hundred percent? Could they matter more this year than in in the the near the you know the near history? One hundred percent, especially because we're likely going to see the return of kind of doorbuster deals that we didn't have last year. So there is this reason to come on those days. And I'd say I think what we've seen thus far is whether you know what we have in that bottom left is showing what Labor Day meant compared to the weeks prior. Uh, And it still creates a draw. It's the the excuse to shop. It's that confluence of a need, excuse, and the reason and the nostalgia that bring people into locations. But there's also other holidays like I know, and it's a silly name, but we love it. And we call it Turkey Wednesday, which is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving for most grocers is their best day of the year. Mm -hmm. I want to tap into that if I'm a product company, because I know that the person coming in to get I don't know, they're missing garlic and, and bread and, and, I don't know, cucumbers. If they come <laughs> into the supermarket, they're not just leaving with those three items. So how do I yeah. take advantage of those cycles? I think that's a big question. On today's Bullseye, we continue our coverage of one of the lamest trends I've ever seen in our industry. It's bad enough when we see brand managers adding product extensions that don't make sense. But over the past few months, we've been witness to those iconic brands who must be starving for new customers, extend themselves into other categories that are non-food with the hope, I guess, to expand their brand equity. Velveeta did it with nail polish. Miller added an ice cream bar that tastes like the floor of a dive bar. And the list goes on and on. And now, from those folks at Kraft, we can add a Philadelphia cream cheese designer handbag. Forget Gucci. Sorry, Gucci. Forget Louis Vuitton. Even forget Balenciaga, who I suppose they should have partnered with now that they've dropped Ye. If you want to be hip this season, it's all about the cream cheese. Frank Zappa called it out in the mid-60s with his Susie Cream Cheese diatribe about an airhead girl who was nice to look at but had no substance or intelligence. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about the dozen or so people who will actually buy the Philly Cream Cheese handbag, who presumably are female. Or am I? I'm talking about the people who came up with this idea. Yes, there have been certain brands that have created hand and shoulder bags with their logos that have become iconic and have stood the test of time. The Pan Am shoulder bag comes to mind. I would want one. But back to food. I'm concerned that our brand managers are being distracted by those shiny objects out there instead of focusing on our brands and shoppers. A few months ago, we reported on the shortage of Philly cream cheese because of supply chain problems. Every day, we're reporting on escalating food prices. Maybe take the dollars spent on these kinds of promotions and products and put it back into the product? What a concept. How about promoting how Philly can be used to add protein and extend recipes to save money or create tasty and unique leftovers? If you've got this much money to waste on promotions like a Philly cream cheese handbag, maybe just lower prices? Kraft Heinz has reported at the end of June 2022 price increases of 12.4% versus the previous year, due primarily by by rising input costs. Net income increased 1,136.4% over the previous year due to lower tax expenses. Now, don't waste your money on these shiny objects. How about putting it back in the product? 
Thanks for joining us today on the Lemper Report Live. Don't forget, all of our archives are on supermarketguru.com. Please sign up for our newsletter. And don't forget, we're constantly updating those articles and issues on supermarketguru.com. We'll see you back here next week, same time, same place, for more of the Lemper Report Live.